The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Melissa Miller. Melissa is a former certified nursing assistant turned full-time stay-at-home mom and spousal caregiver following her husband's unexpected diagnosis of epilepsy. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to talk with you. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this call. It's just going to be a lot of fun. I completely agree. And I've been looking forward to it too. So very excited for us to finally get together here. Uh, After our busy days of work. Right. And what a fun way to end it with then with just a beverage and some intentional conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Melissa, I would love to start by having you share with listeners all the amazing things that you have been up to these days. Oh my gosh, where does your girl start? I am a full-time stay-at-home mom and spousal caregiver for my epileptic husband. And I am also building a business, a coaching business, if you will, for stay-at-home moms and spousal caregivers, helping them transition, other moms like myself transition through this awkward, crazy, unexpected journey of balancing motherhood and caregiving at a younger than expected age. (laughs) In a nutshell, right? (laughs) In a nutshell. That was pretty good. That was like all in one breath. I mean, I I feel like you've said that before. Yeah, I've done this a lot. So I've started to really get it down to a T, to a science. Wonderful. Well, you know, can we dive into that just a little bit? What is it that you're striving towards? What is your life purpose right now in sharing about this? Well, this journey, well, first first and foremost, I'm just going to throw it out there. I am a Christian. I am a believer. And I really see anything that I do as a form of ministry. I have a prior 15-year background in healthcare as a certified nursing assistant, and I did that work for 15 years. I saw that as my ministry. But I really see this coaching business that I'm building as a ministry as well. And it really came about unexpectedly. I had planned on getting in healthcare from the time I was 10 because I was just fascinated with how the body works. And I really loved the idea of getting into medicine and helping people feel better. This journey, though, was more out of necessity. My husband started having epileptic seizures 
back in December of 2019. And of course, it was right before the pandemic hit worldwide and shut us down. And my husband's health really started to decline in April, May of 2020. And that's when I really had to make the choice. Do I figure out a way to still work outside the home and figure out a way for someone to be at home full time with our daughter, who was one at the time and caring for my husband? Or do I quit my job become a full-time stay-at-home mom and caregiver, and then figure out something, a whole new career from scratch. And I ultimately chose to just do a whole new career from scratch. It was crazy, but it was the only thing I could find that I felt comfortable with in the terms of I could choose my own hours. I could choose something that I love to do versus something that I was being told to do. And it was just open-ended and flexible with my needs of my family, first and foremost, because I have a toddler. I have a husband who has an illness that's very unpredictable. It's very epilepsy and seizure disorders. For those of you who, who aren't in the headspace of that, it's very unforgiving and it's very unpredictable. And I need to be able to just drop things on the fly. Like right now, if we have an, if they're in the middle of this call right now, if my husband has a seizure, I'm dropping it, I'm running and I'm, and I'm taking care of him. So I need something that can do that. And with being your own boss for having an online business, it's perfect for that. But I also get to still do what I love to do, which is help people, encourage people, help them feel better and help them navigate something that's hard. Yeah, that sounds really hard. You know, being a caregiver to somebody full-time over many years is a lot harder than maybe people realize. Maybe people do realize it is, it's very, very difficult. You know, it's one thing to care for a spouse who is sick with the flu and you've got to take care of everything in the household while they're recovering. It's a whole nother thing when it's a 24 seven year after year long thing. It's hard because it becomes your identity. I know in the healthcare field as a nurse myself, you know, we see that a lot with patients' family members, how strained they are for caregiving for so long. And you almost, and I'm not saying this, this is true about you, but in general, for many caregivers, you almost lose your identity. You lose what makes you happy. You lose many things because it's so much about the person you care for. Uh, do you find that any of that resonates with you or are you uh, good at balancing and making sure that you're taking care of as well? <laughs> uh, the sugarcoat answer is yes. The honest answer is no. <laughs> But I will say that as a caregiver, and here's the thing about caregiving, when it's your profession, that's one thing, because there is this separation, if you will, like you practicing as a nurse, I know very well, too. You go and put in your eight hours or 12 hours or 16 hour shift, you're passionate, you show up 150%. But at the end of the day, you get to go home and go to your family, though our patients are still sick, and they still are in that situation, which is hard. And it's not that we don't care, but we do get a break. But when you're a caregiver for your loved one, your spouse particularly, and when you have small kiddos, because I'm speaking to that, it's a whole different bell game. And I want to touch on too that caregiving is different in a different depending on the season because demographically, we're prepared to anticipate needing to make those kind of tough conversations, tough decisions when we're planning to care for our grandparents and our parents because of the age gap. And ultimately, our spouses, you know, once they hit 65 and beyond, that's when the natural decline happens and your body starts having more health problems, which is normal. But what do you do when you're in a situation like this where you're in your prime? I was 
36 when my husband got sick. My husband was 53, no prior medical history. And we just, and we had, like I said, a one-year-old daughter at the time. You don't anticipate that, especially if something, if there's not, if you don't have the warning and the foresight that something's coming down the pipeline. And so what do you do? And how do you navigate that? Because, And how do you do that too? Because we got hit with the perfect storm. I mean, this happens every day. But for our story in particular, it hit us at the worst possible time because of the pandemic. So anything that I could tap into in terms of resource-wise was shut down. So it was like the perfect storm. It could not have gotten any worse. I mean, my brother put it so well. He's like, it was literally like the eye of the storm because my husband got sick December 2019. His health started to decline. We shut down between February and March officially, at least where we live for the pandemic. And then by April and May, my husband's health health was just declining rapidly. So it was a very fast process. That's under the span of six months. So talk about making a lot of changes and decisions really rapidly. So how did you survive that time when (laughs) you were in the eye of that storm? My faith. I definitely still, I'm not going to sugarcoat and say that I didn't have that time period where you still ask God, why? Why did this happen to my family? You know, and what do we do? Why did we have to have a worldwide pandemic hit? Hello. So it's been a process. I was just really focused more than anything in the first six months, though, of just education. I felt like I was back in med school, frankly, because... In my 15-year career as a CNA, I never had a patient with epilepsy or a seizure disorder. So this was back to med school for me trying to educate myself as much as possible about this particular illness. So because it was critical, it's critical so I could be able to take care of my husband. But then at the same time, I'm a new mom. I'm I'm a first-time mom. We battled six years of infertility to just even have our daughter. So here I am thrilled that we finally had a daughter. I'm recovering from, you know, I'm only almost a year postpartum because I had a cesarean when I had our daughter. So it's like, could we take another hit? Realistically not. But what do you do? Either we have the choice of figuring out one day at a time, trying to navigate this situation, or we give up. And giving up is obviously not an option. But I think the big thing, if I guess the thing that I just have figured out daily, and we're two years in, we're in the throes of more seizure activity right now because my husband's needing to transition treatment again because of his health declining again. Go figure. You just learn to write your own rule book. The rule book goes out the window when something like this happens and you just have to write your own rule book. It's not pretty. It's not fun. But you really have no choice because there's no 101 for navigating being a first-time mom and caring for a sick spouse simultaneously. There's really no rule book for it. So what do you do? You know, really, what do you do? You know, having two kids of my own, I totally get that difficult postpartum phase. I could not even fathom having to take care of anyone else because I was so sleep deprived and trying to figure out how to take care of a new human that I I can't even imagine having to add anything on top of that because I was I felt like I was already running on fumes. So gosh, but I guess what they say is that the the universe, God, whoever, they don't give you what you can't handle, right? <laughs> so apparently you were able to handle it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't know. I mean I I mean I paid for it. I'm not gonna say sugarcoat mm. anything here. This is a real conversation. So I will say too that I did burn out. I did not practice. I mean the things that I teach now and teach my moms and I'm passionate about teaching my moms now. I did not have a good understanding personally when I started my journey two years ago. Sure. Because I was 
writing my rule book. I have the rule book figured out now that I can fall back on to kind of navigate it. But I didn't have that at the time. So I had to learn what works for me in terms of honoring STEM, which is my spiritual reconnection, thought management, emotional release and movement throughout the day, basically physical, emotional, spiritual and mental self-care. And then obviously figuring out my prompt method, which is the backbones of what I teach of how to get a routine out of the chaos around your home and in caring for your spouse's illness. Because like you and I know, we have a background in healthcare. So boom, that makes it so much easier for us to leverage triage and treatment and kind of thinking with our medical brains and our training. Thank God for our medical training. I don't know how I would navigate this without it. But for the average person, they don't have that. They don't know what questions to ask, what might be the telltale signs of a red flag to bring up to their medical team, how to keep morale up. I mean, there's so many moving pieces to this journey that is just unknown. That's clueless. You know, the average person is just absolutely clueless about knowing. So I'm curious for any of our listeners who are in the throes of caregiving for a loved one, could you give one or two pieces of advice that you've learned have worked? Absolutely. The two things I teach out the gate that are the most important things are the two P's in my prompt method. Preparing for the unexpected is the big one. Okay, so that's where I teach getting your spouse's medical information ready to go. So having your spouse's information, medical history in a binder, organizer of some sort, all the basics. So the no-brainer things that you're going to have to deal with on a daily, monthly, weekly basis and taking care of your spouse and powwowing with your medical team. So medications, dates of diagnosis, doctors and contacts information, emergency contacts information, insurance, triggers, or the big medical word is provocations. That's what something the EMTs were asked. What are the provocations? What are the triggers that make your spouse's illness or your loved one, if you're if, if you don't have a spouse that's sick, but that makes your loved one's illness worse? And what are the signs and symptoms of that? Allergies is a big one too, would be the last one. And I'm talking both medical related in terms of medications, creams, but also food allergy related too, because some treatments, be it a topical cream or an IV medication, you just never know. There's a lot more, I guess, can't think of a good word right now, but it's just involved. It's just way more involved that there is the chance that there could be a ingredient that your spouse or loved one is allergic to that could come up. So it's good to just have that stuff written out in black and white. So the medical team, be it the EMTs, the urgent care staff, hospital staff, even your doctors, they're clued in on about what they need to navigate through when they're trying to make choices about what procedures, what medications to go through. Then the other P and prompt that I teach is prioritizing self-care. And that goes back to STEM. You cannot fill from an empty cup. You will burn out. I've learned the hard way because I didn't prioritize my self-care in all of 2020. I just really ended up paying for it by 2021. By the time I started going back for my wellness visits, because I was having so many gut issues because I do have full back surgery. I have my health issues my own. I have hypothyroidism and I get a lot of gut attacks from that. But what happened in spring of 2021, I was so sick. I was having multiple, way more than average than my typical gut attacks. And actually what it was, it was IBS, but I wouldn't get diagnosed until December of 2021. So I was sick for a whole year, undiagnosed. I mean, I had a good medical team. Every doctor I went to, they would 
eliminate a bunch of things so we knew what it was not, but then we'd have to move to the next doctor. <laughs> and so it would take four doctors ultimately and two procedures to find out what was wrong. And I finally got diagnosed in December, and then I've only been on medication since January or February. I'm still recovering. I mean, I'm on medication and, and I'm avoiding my trigger foods for my illness, but on top of everything else I have to deal with, it's tough. And so it's really important that you listen to your body. If there's anything, that's a big one too, just really prioritizing and listening to your body. What does your mind, soul, and body need? Because you have to feed all four areas to be able to cope long-term because remember, caregiving is not a sprint, especially if you're caring for a lifelong injury or chronic illness, like what I'm dealing with, with my husband's epilepsy, it's a marathon and it's lifelong. If you don't hydrate and eat and fuel your body every day, to use an analogy, like a marathon runner does, you're not going to be able to run that 26 mile marathon very long at all. You're going to barely make it a mile. And I did not make it more than a mile. (laughs) But within the first year of my caregiving journey, I've only been at this for two years now. And I burned out so hard within the first 12 months because I did not understand how to prioritize my whole body self-care, physical, emotional, mental, and, and spiritual. So you have to listen to your body. You have to listen to your soul. You have to listen to your mind. What do you need to do to keep all four of those areas whole so your cup as a whole is full so you can show up as the wife and the mom and the caregiver that you need to be. So that is such great advice. So first of all, for the being prepared portion of it, it's almost like you have your own medical record at home of the person that you're caring for, having all your information there. And I like that you brought up allergies even to foods because believe it or not, there are certain foods that you're allergic to, for example, kiwi, it could indicate a latex allergy. So there's also different foods that can indicate that. Supplements as well. So it's all really, really great to bring up all allergies because you just you just never know. And then also the prioritizing. Oh, going back to the the prepping, that's just something that sounds like something that we should be doing regardless. Yeah. <laughs> we should have this information just in case, right? Exactly. It seems like so important. And what I teach is I have free ultimate caregiver organizer. And I break it down for you in sections. So for those of you who are listening who don't have a medical brain, because that's the thing, like I said before, at the beginning of this conversation, the average person, they're clueless, they're scared, they're overwhelmed, they don't know how to tackle this stuff. But with my medical brain, thank God for my medical training, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Lord. This gives me a leg up. And so for the average person, I want to give you guys a leg up. I don't want you guys to be overwhelmed and scared. I want you thriving and being able to have a realistic routine, a realistic foundation that you can fall back onto. Just speaking to what I know, my husband's had five seizures since Friday. And I have my notebook here and my binder, and it's right there with all my medical information. And I just go through and... There's notes and notes and notes of every, I log everything. And then like, I actually, right before I hopped on this call, I was talking with our medical team, actually. I was updating our doctor saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing. What do you want to do next? And then I have my organizer I use as my medical history. So that's where I keep the basics. So that's where like instructions for all the meds would go, doctor contact information, allergies, dates of diagnosis, insurance information. And then I use the notebook as a log because that's the other thing I want to clue people in on too about 
this is being a medical professional, whether you're a nurse like Laura is or my prior experience as a certified nursing assistant, we're the eyes and ears of the doctor. It's so important, like with our progress notes and when we give report to the next shift, we're giving little subtle clues about what's been happening with our patients so they can make the better overall choice in what is appropriate for the next step of treatment for our patients. So as a caregiver for your loved one, same rules apply. You're the eyes and ears of your medical team. Our neurologist is in Boise, which is where we live. We're about half an hour from Boise, Idaho. And so they're all the way in Boise. They're not here 24-7 seeing what my husband is dealing with, seeing the symptoms, seeing the mood swings, seeing if he falls. I'm doing that. And so that's why it's so important. I recommend having a binder and a log. It's handy for when you need to do follow-ups because there's a lot that happens. You can't remember it all. Write it down. If you can't do a binder, even even on the go, if you don't, if you keep your binder at home, have a note in your app, a Google Doc, a note app on your phone, jot down when things happen and then put it into your binder though when you get home because the idea is you want to keep everything consolidated in one spot so you're not scatterbrained. And having all the basics there is very helpful to fall back on when you have a medical emergency because what happens? Sometimes you do have to call 911. You do have to go to the ER. You do have to go to urgent care. I had to do this the other day. My husband had a seizure. He fell, hit his head. I witnessed it, but he did hit his head hard. So there was concern of a concussion. So I was thankful I had everything memorized and I had some notes in my phone. Boom, I was ready to go. I didn't have to stress about it. I knew exactly the basic information that I needed to rattle off to the doctor. And we were just in a flow. He's like, okay, we're going to order this test, this test, and this test. It didn't take as many hours as what it could have been because they weren't going in blind. They're like, okay, we know that he's had epilepsy for two years. We know he's on these two drugs for seizure control and that he has these drugs for rescue. We know he's been having these types of seizures. It really expedited the care and the time and shortened the amount of time we were in the hospital overall. And that's what you want to do. The more information, overkill it, I don't care. The more information that you can give, the faster, the better, the more efficient care your loved one will get because your medical team will be going in blind. They'll have a strong foundation, a baseline of what to go for. And in a medical emergency, even just as simple as the EMTs, if you can whip out your binder when the EMTs come to your house and you can rattle off that information, what's happening? They're on their radios. They're calling in that information to the hospital. And then the medical team at the hospital, they're ready to go. They know what to anticipate. And then at the end of the hospitalization, we're going to go there. It's digital. They send that information over to your medical team. They have files of what testing um, and treatments that were done. And then you're back at it at home, hitting the floor running with continuing medical care. And it shortens the time for knowing what the next step is with your treatment as well. It really all cycles into everything. So the more you can get organized with that and get used to that, the better overall it's going to be. Yes, absolutely. And so part of what you've done since you have that healthcare background is you've created this organizer. Yeah. Organizer. So the layperson who's not healthcare can do what you've just said. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all broken down by sections. The layman, like you said, who doesn't have a 15 year background in healthcare like I have been blessed with can hit the floor of running, you know, because it is scary because think about it. Not everyone goes to medical school or has a profession in healthcare. It can be scary and intimidating 
when you're going to these medical appointments or you're having to go to the ER or urgent care and they're throwing all these medical terms at you and you're clueless and you're going, what does that mean? Or I can't remember or, you know, it just gets really scary. It can get really scary and very overwhelming very, very fast. (laughs) Yes, especially if you're in that high stress situation, for sure. So I want to take it back now to your childhood. Can you set the picture for us of what your childhood was like? Well, I'm internationally adopted. My parents went through their own infertility journey, oddly enough, to start a family. And they decided after going the route of, of seeing what options they had for them in terms of early treatment. Because remember, for our parents, we're going back to the 70s. So there's obviously not all the treatment and options that there are now, but still it's really expensive. And even back then, it was really expensive. You had to have some good money and they didn't have the science like they do now to expedite that. So they decided, you know what, we're going to internationally adopt. It was definitely a God story because I was born at three pounds, 12 ounces. And they waited until I was up to five pounds to see if I'd even lived just before they put me on the adoption rig. I was internationally adopted from Taegu, South Korea. And my parents were teens. And so they weren't married. They didn't have a career, you know. And obviously, for those of you who may not be familiar with Asian cultures, relationship or a child born out of wedlock is a big dishonor to the family. And so obviously, I probably would not have been accepted probably, you know, because, you know, we think probably for my for my birth mom that she, she was only a teenager. So she was probably trying to hide the pregnancy. So her family wouldn't find out. But it still worked out. I'm thankful that she didn't have an abortion. I'm thankful that she put me up for adoption because I was adopted at four months and came stateside to America. And then I was blessed to be raised in the family I did. My mother was a licensed marriage and family counselor. My dad is a former friend's pastor. So I definitely get my love for serving people and ministry from them for sure, because they have done service jobs, service work, and the rest is history. You know, I've had my own fair share struggles with um, racism and, you know, being an Asian American, struggling with my faith to make it my own, plotting my own life, you know, and working hard, you know, because I did struggle in school, but I still graduated. I got A's and B's by my senior year. I had to work at it. So, you know, I've had my own up and down journeys, but I'm thankful the Lord brought me here because I was a really sick baby. The first thing they had to do was take me to the hospital and I came stateside because I was really sick. I was only 10 and a half pounds at four months. That's not, that's too small for a four month baby. Teeny tiny. I was really sick. I was really so sick. And so I had to do a lot of speech therapy, a lot of physical therapy, motor skills. I was just so sick and so tiny that my motor skills and motor skill development was really delayed. And so I had to do extensive amounts of therapy and treatment for that. So I'm lucky I would probably have not survived very well or thrived. I like to use the word thrived like I have in America. And I wouldn't have my beautiful baby girl and I wouldn't have my husband. So that's true, right? Everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. And I didn't know you were from South Korea. My mom is South Korean. Really? Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, May I ask yeah. what part of South Korea she's from? Yeah, so she's from the country from a, a little town called Edie. Oh, okay. I don't know how far that is from Seoul. Yeah, Tagu is um, south of Seoul, I think. If I, remember. I, I always get confused. It's either north or south of Seoul, which is the capital of South yeah, Korea. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I could probably 
Google it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I have to ask yeah. my mom, maybe. Well, that's interesting. But, um, okay. Yeah. How, how neat is that? So wasn't there some point in your younger life where there was some caregiving happening then as well? My mom has had her, well, she passed away in September um, of last year, but she definitely has had her own health issues too. She's been, she was chronically sick for 50 years. I definitely, with going through the own journey I am now of the opposite, I'm caring for my husband and I have my own chronic issues and my dad has had some health issues too. And so it's interesting how our journeys just seemed to really parallel. My mom had hypothyroidism as well, and they had infertility problems. So it just is interesting how I could not have been given a better set of parents because our lives mirrored, although it kind of made my mom sad. She said, you're not even biologically mine and you're going through some of the same tough things. And I'm sorry. It's like, mama, it's not your fault. It's not you and daddy's fault. So don't worry about it, you know. But seeing daddy, he would work long hours. As a pastor, you know, your flock takes a lot of time. And I don't know how many times he would come home ragged out, dead tired from a long day of serving and then get, you know, come home, try to get dinner on the table and then have an emergency situation come up with one of our parishioners and have to go out again. And then on top of that, come home sometimes and also help take care of my mom because she was sick and battling some issues and also having to pick up the slack on taking care of me because mama wasn't feeling up to the task of taking care of me. That was definitely a very beautiful thing. My parents were married for almost 50 years. They didn't quite make it to their 50th. Mama passed away just shortly before their 50th wedding anniversary. So it was kind of sad, but I get a lot of strength in that. And just their faith, their strong faith through all the ups and downs that that they went through in their own journeys and their own marriages. You know, every family has its struggle, has its challenging moments. And so between the way they were raised and their own struggles with building their own family. I just definitely have gotten a lot of strength on that. And I have a lot of I I, <laughs> I was talking with my aunt about this the other day, too, because um, she's like another mom, I call her Mama Bev. She's, you know, another mom figure to me. And I told her I said, I don't know how the heck Mama did it. I have a lot of respect being chronically sick for 50 years. She became a licensed marriage and family therapist. Every time we moved when we changed churches that we were, that we felt the Lord was calling us to serve at, you know, my dad's ministry, she would uproot. She would work her butt off to get licensed by that state that we'd live in. She'd start her practice up again, all the while while she's doing with health and raising a daughter and being a minister's wife where she would still be volunteering at the church, you know, playing the piano for Sunday service and being in Bible studies and serving on church choirs. I mean, this woman, I mean, she had everything thrown at her that you could possibly have, you know, fibromyalgia, you know, chronic pain cancer. And, you know, we were in a car wreck when I was a little girl, and she had some very bad, serious health issues related to that. So this woman just went through so much stuff. And yet she still had faith. She had her down moments too, like we all do in our faith where we question, why did X, Y, and Z happen to me? Why couldn't life just be a little bit simpler, Lord? But at the same time, she was still open to be like, listen, I want to get out of the way. I really want to get out of the way and serve you. And I definitely am in that place now, too, where I want to get out of the way. I want to use God and my work, how God has given it to me for the reason 
I really feel like this and believe that this work that I'm doing in my business is divine. It's for a reason. Yes, it is to put food on the table for my family, but it is also an outlet. It's my passion. It's something for me to serve others still, which I love. And it's a way to also glorify the Lord. Because, you know, like even though everyone that I serve may not be a Christian, and that's fine. We may not share the same beliefs, but I still want to go in with the idea that I can still serve people and touch people and help bring some good out of a really extenuating, horrible situation and chapter of their life. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to talk about Holy Spirit and the idea of Holy Spirit. For the Christian faith, Regardless of what denomination you are, you know, there's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God the Father, and then he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to cleanse our sins so that we don't have to have like the older days with the Jewish people. We don't have to have sacrifices, burnt offering sacrifices, and having a priest intercede for us to have communion with the Lord. And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, after the resurrection and the first ascension, for Pentecost, that's why we celebrate Pentecost. That was when the coming of the Holy Spirit came. So that's our way through prayer to be able to have daily communion with God. So we don't have to see a priest. We don't have to have a burnt offering or sacrifice to be able to have communion with the Holy Spirit. So when I pray, I'm asking the Lord for guidance. And when we feel those nudges by the Lord in the Quaker, I was raised Quaker. I attend a Nazarene Church, which is also another John Wesleyan Church. And that's a whole nother topic we can dive into another time. With the Quaker Church, what we do is we have time where we call it open worship. The breakdown will be was we'll have an open prayer, we'll sing hymns, we'll announcements, and then we'll have either before or after, well, usually it's after the um, pastor has had has shared his sermon, we'll have what we call open worship time. And it's just a time where we just all sit quietly as a congregation and we just meditate or we listen. We sit quietly and we just quiet our hearts and see if we have a nudge from the Lord and then we will share. Sometimes people will share a prayer request or sometimes people will share a praise. Uh, thank you for something that the Lord has done in their lives this week. Now, in the Nazarene, we don't practice that. Now, the Nazarene church is off of the Catholic church, practices some of the similar things, like we practice communion, but we don't have quiet time like the Quakers do, but we still obviously believe in the Holy Spirit and believe in the power of prayer and how the Holy Spirit can still intercede for us. It is interceding for us. In our church that we go to, instead of having, say, open worship time, we have open altar time. So during our congregational prayer after we've had same kind of layout, opening prayer, congregational singing, then we'll open it up for congregational prayer. And if we need to come and have some prayer time, or we want a pastor to bless us or pray with us, one of the senior pastors, we can come to the altar and they can pray with us. And we just can get quiet before the Lord. Now we don't necessarily then have, it's not like the Quaker church where we stand up and we affirm it or share something, you know, after that moment. But it is a chance to, as a community, to still do something where we take something that's actionable, if you will. It's when we not say it, but we're still going forward and declaring something's on my heart. I need to bring it before the Lord. And sometimes people just sit and pray with each other. Sometimes go to the altar to just sit and pray with each other. Other times they just sit quietly by themselves at the altar. Other times they will ask a pastor for a blessing to pray with them. So it just depends on the situation and what's on your heart. But that's basically in a nutshell what the Holy Spirit is. It's our intercessory of how we can communicate with the Lord. 
Okay, got it. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Now I wanted to ask, does intuition fall into your everyday life? <laughs> intuition. <laughs> I like the yeah. way you put that. Your face is so animated. I get such a kick out of you. You're so funny, girl. <laughs> so I'm going to go deeper here. So when you say intuition from a spiritual standpoint, or just like more like a kind of a gut feeling, like just an everyday life, just going with the flow type thing, or which which way are you going with the question? Well, to me that they're one and the same. So whichever way you feel guided to to talk. I would agree with you. We have our guts. As a mom, as a caregiver, you learn to trust your gut. If something doesn't smell right, you know to call it out real quick. You know what I mean? If you, if you see something that's not good, especially as a caregiver, you learn to, those triggers. If you see something brewing, I call it out. I'm calling the doctor. I'm writing it in my log. I'm giving my husband the appropriate medication because he does have some medications for his seizures where sometimes we don't know. Like I said, sometimes when you're dealing with an illness, the signs sometimes aren't really black and white. And so you have to kind of go with your gut, like, let's just do something just in case. And he does have a couple just in case medicines for like, even as something as simple, like if he's feeling off, there's a medication I can give him. So that way, if it is to kind of hopefully nip it in the butt before it becomes a full-blown seizure, if that makes sense. So I will say that in my day-to-day life, I do go with my gut, both with trusting my intuition and my training as a medical professional for so long, two years and counting of dealing with this illness and learning what the pattern is and the baseline is for my husband's illness of what his is with this unique individualistic illness. And also I would say too, then more on the spiritual side is absolutely, you know, just with my journaling, really just going with my gut of what I feel is aligned with for my work and how I show up every day with my work. I mean, I'm still a a, a baby entrepreneur in the sense that I don't have a six-figure business yet, but I'm planning to get there. I'm still working towards hitting my first goal, my first 3K month. I'm still working towards that and that's fine. But the idea that learning to go with my gut and intuition, if you will, for how I'm going to build my brand, how I'm going to stand apart as the coach and the mentor that I feel that the Lord is calling me to be, the mother, the wife, the caregiver that the Lord is calling me to be, that's another thing too. You know what I mean? So definitely, absolutely. So I think from what you said, it sounds like your intuition plays a big role in your day-to-day, no matter what. Who on the other side or what on the other side of your intuition do you think is communicating to you? I believe it's the Lord. I believe that Heavenly Father looks after us and the Lord looks after us and that He is going before me. Like, I don't know. Like, He knows the beginning of the end. He knows how long I'm going to live, how long my husband's going to live. He knows what my daughter's profession is going to be. I don't. I don't see the big picture, but God does. He knows the desires of my heart. So he knows what I desire for my family, for my husband's illness, for my business. God has had his hand on this business. And the fact that he has been, one thing I put, I really attest and I praise him for right now is, I'm hey, I'm doing things I never thought I'd do. I'm on, I'm on a podcast right now, y'all. I'm talking to my girl, Laura, and getting to share my story. <laughs> Two years ago, I thought I was going to be in healthcare till I retired. I'm building a business. 
<laughs> I'm switching careers in my mid 30s. And I never thought I would do that. But then again, I never thought I'd have to care for my husband at such a young age either and for the rest of my life and that he'd have to collect disability soon, sooner than anticipated and things like that. That part's not fun. But God still provides. I do believe that he's allowing. I really think this is for us that God has allowed a way for me to still serve others and for something good to come out of our story. It's been painful. It's been hell. It has not been fun. Your girl's not going to sugarcoat that one bit. But at the same time, I'm having the chance to serve others. I'm having the chance to touch someone else's life. How many people can say that? Not everyone builds an online business. Not everyone builds a ministry. Even people who build churches and do nonprofits, things like that. Not everyone does that. Some people just are in the corporate world workforce and do the nine to five grind or whatever for 50 years. No disrespect to them. Some people do that and they love that work and they're passionate about that work. I'm not saying you can't. But for those of us who are creative and have this, are open to receive this opportunity to be an online influencer or business owner or coach or create a nonprofit or do a podcast like what Laura's doing. Not everyone can do that. And it's not easy. It's that in itself is a different marathon too, right? It's a, it's a whole different marathon journey. So you have to be willing for whether you're spiritually sound or not, you have to be open to that nudge, that gut feeling, that intuition, and then act on it. A lot of people get ideas and have ideas, but do they act on it? Not everybody does. That's the biggest thing is that you get the urges, but do you act on it? That is the big step, the thing that connects and bridges the two. I am curious, are there other ways in your life that God, Jesus, Holy Spirit gives you signs throughout the day? Yeah, all the time. Yesterday, I took the day off for 4th of July yesterday. It was a beautiful day. It was just gorgeous. It wasn't too hot. It was kind of cloudy because where we live, it's desert. And so in the valley where we live... It can get hot during the summer. We definitely pushed some triple digits here, so it can be hot. And we've already had a couple of those over, and it's only the beginning of July. So yikes, break out the sunscreen. It was just so fun yesterday. Like I said, I, I'm internationally adopted, but my aunt who I was talking about, she had four kids. And since I was adopted and I have no siblings of my own, her four kids are my siblings. And so my sister, as it were, she was in town from Seattle. My older sister who lives like five minutes away from us came over and my brother who lives in Boise half an hour away came over and we just had the best time. We were just throwing a Frisbee and talking. My brother brought his dog over and my little girl who's three just loves, she she calls him, his name's Marvin, but she calls the dog Marmar. <laughs> and she was so excited to see Marmar. That was just the best day. I was like, Lord, thank you for this nice, because I don't get one-on-one time with him that often. So it was just a nice thing. We weren't doing anything crazy or even spending money. We were just having intentional conversation, having sibling time, throwing a Frisbee, playing with the dog. They were being a wonderful uncle and aunt to my little girl. And Linda was just loving it. The smile on her face, that was priceless. And that, I believe, was a blessing from the Lord. And then this morning and yesterday, a moment I personally had is I've been a part of a Facebook group on Facebook called Holy Christian Moms. And they just launched 
an organizational bundle and a little devotional was really spoke to me. And so I've been doing this and they wrote it with the understanding that, listen, as moms, we're really busy. We only maybe have five or 10 minutes a day to really be intentional with the Lord. So even if you can't sit quietly more than that, that's okay. That's what God wants. And so being intentional with just journaling on one verse, what I've been doing is sharing that on my stories too. And if it's aligned with people, cool. If not, but for me, it's what I need to share to have that intentionality. So I write about it in my journal. I screenshot the verse and have an image later so I can reference it later. And just being intentional, like what am I with my prompt journal in the morning? I'm like, okay, how can I incorporate that verse? So like one of them was whatever I eat or drink, I see that as a way of honoring the Lord by treating my body as a temple. So for me, I choose not to drink. I can't anymore because of all my medicine that I'm on. But, you know, a choice that I've made since I was a little girl is I choose not to drink. I chose to be sexually abstinent until I entered a biblical marriage, which I did. So I was a virgin. I'm just being really honest. I was a virgin when I got married. So honoring God and listening to those nudges of how you can honor and serve him, it is in every aspect of your life. And it doesn't have to necessarily just be on Sunday morning. Okay. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just in church. I'm on a podcast talking. We're having talking about the woo stuff here. And I'm on a podcast to pitch and share my story for my coaching business. So what? Thank you, Lord. This is an opportunity to bless someone who maybe <laughs> needs hope. Maybe they don't believe in the Lord and believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to take offense. That is your choice. But if you do resonate with the idea that you're not alone, you're doing the best you can, there is resources available if you are thrust into motherhood or caregiving at the same time at the not ideal time of motherhood and marriage. I got you. And I can also relate to from the standpoint of life is hard, crap hits the fan, and you don't have to go through it alone. There's other people out there across the globe that are dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. It might be a little bit differently than what you're dealing with, but the commonality is that I'm a human being too. I go through things. I get angry. I get frustrated. I get sick. I get overwhelmed, but we can get through it. And I think it's really important, too, to just really lean into that faith or belief, whatever that is for you, because that is what's going to help you cope long term. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And going back to what you said about it doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. I felt the same way when I was going to church or synagogue because I grew up both in a Jewish and oh, Christian household. <laughs> so I felt the same way. Yeah, I know. I was like, I don't think I have to go to church or wait till Sundays to, you know, to really talk about or learn about God or, you know, whatever else on the other side. So I, I feel the same way about that. I do want to now wrap up our interview and ask you a question. The Melissa of today, what advice would you give your past self? To just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I was clueless. I mean, yes, I had a healthcare background when I started this journey, but I had no idea what I was in for. I had no clue. The very first seizure my husband had, it didn't look like a seizure. I thought with my medical brain, it was something else. All of what happened was we woke up at 4.30 in the morning because our daughter was crying to change her diaper. I stepped out of the room to do something. And then I came back to check on my husband to see if he needed help with our daughter because, you know, we were both sleep deprived too as a new parent. But my husband had this glazed look over his face. He, I asked him, are you okay? He got three words out. I don't know, passed out. And with my medical brain, I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's just, it's more of like a chemical bounce, you know? I mean, come on, 
parenting in your early 50s is a little lot different than in your 20s or 30s. Hello. And for once, I thought it was just exhaustion from that. He was working 40 plus hours a week to help provide for our family. And we were sleep deprived with an almost one year old. And, you know, again, as you age, you do have imbalances and things with your body that do come up. So I thought it was something like that. I never for a millisecond thought it was um, his first seizure. So I would say to that girl back then or to someone else who's the past Melissa version, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trust your gut. Trust your gut. Don't wait to get into the doctor. We got lucky because he had his first seizure in December. And then we followed up after because of the delay of the new year. We got we saw his primary in January. He immediately thought it was something neurological. He said, I'm not sure. This is not my specialty. But from the symptoms that you're describing and what I'm seeing in the report from the ER visit following what we know now was a seizure but episode at the time, I think this is something neurological. He got us into a neurologist. They caught it right away that it was a seizure disorder, but it wasn't epilepsy yet. And we worked with them for a month. And then by July, it took us till July working with our specialists that we finally got the diagnosis of epilepsy. So we got lucky. But for a lot of people, I know that that may not be the case. They may go through, my mom went through years of being misdiagnosed, wrong treatment, wrong doctors, having these symptoms, and it's just not making sense. So please trust your gut. Pester the heck out of the doctors if you have to. I don't care what you have to do. If you know down in your gut that something is wrong and off with your loved one or your spouse, scream it to the rooftops and keep putting one foot in front of the other. I can't promise that every day is going to be easy. I wish I could. But all I can tell you is to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's all I can do. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful advice. Your husband and your daughter are very lucky to have you to help take care of all of them. So hope that you also are able to take care of yourself as well and fill your cup. But I do really want to thank you, Melissa, for the advice. Thank you so much for your time and really do appreciate you and all the hard work that you do. Absolutely, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're interested, follow me over on Instagram at Melissa Miller 2011. I do post daily reels and inspirational posts over there. Feel free to reach out in the DMs if you are interested in engaging further. Perfect. And I will have that information in the show notes. So it'll be easy for them to click or at least copy and paste. So wonderful. And that was another episode of a guided life podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.